With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When the ice breaks, when the heart shake in the town and the moxie in the winter, the end of my love for now and you spent your summer. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. We're coming to you from the beautiful Niagara region of Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week we journey back 50 years in time to 1970, where we report on all the goings-on in the hockey and sporting worlds 50 years ago. This time around, we're in the week of March 2nd to March 8th, 1970. This podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive, and they've been instrumental in allowing us to access all the newspapers in hockey land of 1970s. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company of Port Coburn, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwall Brewing Company are purveyors of outstanding craft beers, many of which are from recipes crafted by the town's first breweries in the late 1800s. They also serve the best pub food around with delicious gourmet burger and pizza specials each week created by the amazing team in their kitchen. If you're in the Niagara region, get a hold of me and we'll have a beer at the break wall. Now in in last week's show, some of the stories we talked about were uh, the approaching National Hockey League trade deadline for the 1969-70 season and a lot of surprising names were being thrown around in trade rumors and there were two pretty significant trades that were completed. The Canucks finally confirmed the worst kept secret in hockey with the appointment as general manager of the team, Bud Poyle, former Philadelphia Flyers general manager. And we talked about some surprising attendance figures released by most of the NHL teams last week. Now this time around, we've got a few other news items that are uh, standing out from that time period. The trade deadline for 1970 came and went, and it was markedly different than what we're used to here 50 years later. Uh, We did learn that one future Hall of Fame player found himself moving to another NHL team for the very first time in his long and distinguished career. We'll find out this week that a couple of NHL coaches will receive contract extensions. And the question we'll ask is, will they be around for the long haul? We'll also learn that the National Hockey League Referees Association pulls a very curious move, and we'll talk about that. And we'll also have a quick report on the status of baseball player Kurt Flood's challenge to his sports reserve clause and his request to immediately be declared a free agent, and hockey people were keeping a close eye on that. And we've got so much more in another very busy news week from the NHL and the hockey world 50 years ago. So let's get to it. 
First up this week, uh, a strange move by the National Hockey League Referees Association. They actually fired their lawyer, Toronto solicitor Joe Kane. Now, Joe Kane's very well known in the hockey world. Uh, before he became the referee for the Officials Association, he was the president of the Central Professional Hockey League, which ranks just below the WHL and American Hockey Leagues as minor league professional leagues go. Uh, he was informed on Monday of this week that the members of the association felt that they had a better chance of having their group recognized by the National Hockey League if they weren't represented by a solicitor. Joe Kane told the Toronto Globe and Mail that Bruce Hood uh, said that he was he is the guy who called Joe. Uh, he said that he was speaking on behalf of Association President Bill Friday, Vice President Vern Buffy, and the membership. Joe Kane spoke with the Toronto Global Mail, and uh, they could tell he was obviously disappointed with his uh, group's decision. But he said, and Joe's a classy guy, that his personal feelings weren't important in this matter, and that he withdrew his services uh respecting the official's collective frame of mind. Uh, Joe said, I'd like to have been around to see them recognized by the NHL, and I don't think that day's far off. Uh, he says, my task hasn't been a bad one. Joe enjoyed what he was doing, but he was upset that the league would not recognize the official's association. Joe uh, was upset that the league would not return a lot of his correspondence, telephone calls and letters, and he described himself as not the NHL's favorite pinup boy. Uh, he said he tried to contact NHL President Clarence Campbell on numerous occasions, but never received a reply, although on one occasion, referee-in-chief Scotty Morrison did say that he recognized that the correspondence had been received. Now, in Montreal, uh, President Clarence Campbell said that uh, Kane's correspondence had been acknowledged, but not by him directly. He said that there was no way that he could engage in correspondence with Mr. Kane because his instructions from the governors of the league were explicit. They were not to recognize the association. One has to wonder what's going to happen in the near term for this official's association. Will they capitulate completely to the league and not organize in the future? Or will the league maybe engineer some kind of compromise? We think that there's a solution not far down the road. Stay tuned on this one. Now, perhaps the biggest news of the week was the Toronto Maple Leafs and New York Rangers engaging in a trade similar to one they made about six years ago. The Maple Leafs traded veteran defenseman Tim Horton, certainly going to be a Hall of Famer at some point, to the Rangers. And the return was what really shook a few people up because Toronto got nothing in return at this point in time. The deal wasn't a complete surprise, although many felt that the defensively inept Toronto club could scarcely afford to give up the best rear guard that they have. But general manager Jim Gregory, ever the realist, recognized the fact that this Toronto team has no shot at the Stanley Cup and a slim to none chance at to even compete in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. So Jim realizes that retooling for the future had to start sometime. But this was, however, 
a very unusual for 1970 trade deadline deal. For one, wasn't on the last day that trades could be made. It was several days before. Uh, Secondly, none of the return that Toronto would eventually receive from the Rangers was announced at this time. Much like the Gump Worsley trade to Minnesota last week, where the Canadians just said, we'll work it out later, the Leafs said that they would be getting future considerations of some sort from the Rangers. Usually in these days, in 1970, when a trade is made, it was usually announced as for something specific, like a first-round draft pick, two left-wingers, and and a couple of hockey sticks. You usually knew what was coming back. But all of a sudden now, as we reach the 1970s, these types of things were not uh, stipulated at the time that the deal was to be completed. And that was a little bit strange. Now, in the case of Gump Worsley, very few eyebrows were raised because Gump wasn't playing. He'd vowed not to ever play for Montreal again. So that particular deal last week was viewed more being a favor to a veteran player to keep him in the league rather than what the Leafs are doing here, which was shoring up a contender with no immediate cost to the team receiving a very strong asset in Tim Horton. The Rangers were fighting for first place in the Eastern Division at this time, and Horton was Toronto's best defenseman. This contending team, the Rangers that is, didn't have to give up anything from their current roster to acquire a person who as recently as last season was a National Hockey League All-Star. A lot of people around the NHL did not like the smell of this trade. Even the news outlets that carried the trade story had confusing or little detail on this trade. And that's amazing because these are two of the biggest media markets in the league, New York and Toronto, that made this deal. And the the Toronto Star and the Global Mail are excellent at ferreting out details of trades or rumors of trades and other hockey situations. And the New York Times has a very good hockey reporter in Gerald Eskenazi, but nobody seemed to know exactly what was going to happen. The New York Times, in fact, their story only said that the Rangers had acquired Tim Horton and they made absolutely no mention of what was given up to Toronto in exchange. Stan Fischler wrote one of those special to the star stories in the Toronto Star and uh, he left what Toronto would receive for Horton to the very last paragraph of a fairly detailed story. Fischler wrote that Toronto would acquire several young players on the Rangers Omaha farm team and that one of them would definitely be Silaps Jr. along with one or all of young defenseman Abdemarco Jr., Mike Robitaille, or Andre Dupont. Now the Toronto papers were no more specific than the New York Times and if anything as it eventually turned out they were a tad optimistic about what the Leafs were going to get for Tim Horton. Dan Proudfoot of the Globe and Mail said right off the top that the Leafs would receive four or five players from New York who would be named at the end of the season, ostensibly because they were playing for a New York farm team and would have to remain there to help their teams in the playoffs. While Proudfoot didn't name anyone specific, he said that the deal would include left and right wingers 
and that there likely wouldn't be any centers since that's the one area where the Maple Leafs are strong. Down the middle with Dave Keon, Mike Walton, and of course, Norm Allman. Dan's brother Jim Proudfoot of the rival Toronto Star speculated that Rangers captain Bob Nevin would be one of the players going to Toronto. Bob, of course, as you remember, was in the 1964 trade deadline, swapped from the Leafs to the Rangers with several others in exchange for Andy Bathgate and Don McKenney. Proudfoot, Jim Proudfoot, that is, said that Nevin would go to the Leafs along with several players from the Omaha Central Hockey League team and maybe a couple of draft picks. Now, Tim's reaction to the deal was exactly what one would expect from Tim Horton. He did express surprise, but only because two weeks previous to the deal, Tim had actually talked with the Rangers general manager, Emil Francis, about a potential trade to New York, and that was done with the permission from the Leafs. Uh, He was told at that time by Gregory that any deal with New York was pretty much dead and nothing was happening. He said he was happy to be going to a contending team and that he was almost completely sure that he would return and play with the Rangers again next season. Tim said that the Rangers would allow him to return to Toronto at any time during the next hockey season and for the rest of this year if and when he was needed to address any issues with his growing donut business. Toronto's executive vice president, Harold Ballard, held a press conference, but he was of no help when uh, reporters asked what the return for the veteran defenseman Horton would be. He said that all he knew was that the Leafs would get four or five players and likely it would be a mix of junior draft choices or players from that Omaha Rangers farm team. NHL president Clarence Campbell uh, addressed the concerns expressed by several quarters that the deal was an attempt to skirt the National Hockey League trade rules. Campbell said that the deal was completely legal as long as Horton isn't returned to Toronto at the end of the season. The league does not allow players to be loaned to other teams in the league for any period of time. Campbell likened the transaction to the Leafs-Rangers trade of 1964 that we mentioned earlier when Toronto sent five younger hockey players to the Rangers for the veterans Batgate and Don McKenney. And of course, those two players were were uh, key in the Maple Leafs' 1964 Stanley Cup victory. Emil Francis, the Rangers general manager coach, is desperately hoping that uh, Horton can play a similar role with his team right now. In several interviews, both Toronto General Manager Jim Gregory and Tim Horton confirmed that the deal was completely contingent on Tim's approval. Gregory said that Horton had been made aware from the very beginning that a trade was possible with New York and that the Rangers were about the only decision that Tim had to worry about. Now, a couple of days after the deal was made, Charlie Barton, the great hockey reporter of the Buffalo Courier Express, reported that one of the players going to Toronto would be 29-year-old Guy Trottier, who this season is the second leading scorer in the American Hockey League. 
Uh, Trottier plays for the Rangers Buffalo Bisons American Hockey League farm team. This kind of confused uh, quite a few hockey observers because Trottier was thought to be the exclusive property of the Bisons of the American Hockey League. But as it turned out, when the Rangers gave Trottier's rights to Buffalo, they retained the right of repurchase. And when the Toronto deal was uh, became something that they thought they could make, they repurchased Trottier's rights from the Bisons, and it's quite likely that he will be ending up with Toronto as a result of this trade. Uh, you may remember that Trottier left the Bisons a couple weeks ago, last week actually, I think it was, after he had a big argument with coach Fred Shiro and trainer Frank Christie. This would seem to smooth that over a bit, and Gee will probably return to the Bisons lineup before the end of the season. So Tim Horton, no longer a Maple Leaf, He's going to the Rangers. Uh, we saw pictures of Tim donning the Ranger jerseys, and boy, did it ever look strange. One has to wonder if that will affect the business of Tim's Ontario donut shops. They've been very, very successful, and we'll have to see what effect this has. Now, the interesting thing about this is this was the only trade that took place on, I believe, March 3rd, before the March 7th trading deadline. No other deals were completed at this deadline this time. The day passed with barely a mention in any National Hockey League city or any of their media. There was the rumor on the uh, 7th that a very, very large trade was about to take place between Chicago and Philadelphia. But minutes before the uh, midnight deadline, the Chicago club backed out at the very last second and nothing uh, happened. Now, aside from trades, there was a lot of other uh, news happening this week and a lot of it would affect teams a long way down the road. Uh, first of all, the Philadelphia Flyers gave coach Vic Stasiuk a two-year contract extension. So Vic is going to be around for at least two years. This was his first year coaching in the National Hockey League. And I guess general manager Keith Allen and owner Ed Snyder liked what they saw from Vic. They want to keep this guy around. I found it a little bit surprising. The Flyers might not even make the playoffs this year, and Stasiuk has been feuding and at odds with a lot of his key players. It seems like there's a lot of people out there who might be available at the end of this season who could do just as good a job as uh, Stasiuk could be. Joe Crozier, who is done in, in Vancouver, would be a guy I would have thought the Flyers would take a look at. And it looks like Fred Shiro is not going to remain with the Buffalo NHL team. So he's going to be somewhere in the Rangers organization or maybe he'll become a free agent. Keith Allen had this to say, we think Vic's done a terrific job this season and we see no reason to wait until the end of the year to give him a new contract. He's done a hell of a job. He's very thorough, conscientious, and he's instilled a great spirit in this club. Still with the Flyers, uh, the Flyers did get some good news on the injury front this week. Wayne Hillman, the veteran defenseman who had suffered a uh, sprained ankle last week, 
It was thought he would miss at least a couple of weeks and he might be gone for the rest of the season. Well, it now turns out after swelling's gone down and more examinations took place that the sprain isn't nearly as severe as first feared and he might be back in the Flyers lineup as early as this weekend. Another coach who got a new contract extension this week and this might surprise a few people, was Claude Ruel of the Canadians. Now, Ruel had just last week volunteered to resign his post if the management of the team thought it would help the Canadians. Canadians are floundering this year. The unthinkable could possibly happen in that they might even miss the National Hockey League playoffs, and that would be the first time in 22 seasons that the Canadians would be on the outside looking in at the end of an NHL season. Well, this week, General Manager Sam Pollock, owner, President David Molson, brought Ruel into Molson's office and convinced him to sign a one-year contract. But you can bet that Ruel will be on a short leash. Uh, Al McNeil, former Canadians and player, player for many other NHL teams, has been doing a great job with the Montreal Voyagers, the Canadians' American Hockey League farm team, and I don't think it'll be long before Canadians will be looking at him as a candidate to coach this team. Ruel still seems to be at odds with several players, especially the veterans. This year, veterans Dick Duff and Gump Worsley were at odds with Ruel. They eventually left the team, and we know he's had issues with Henry Richard. We don't have, hadn't heard anything about him having a problem with Big John Beliveau, but then Beliveau is such a classy guy. It would be pretty difficult to see John at odds with any coach of the Canadians. So we'll see what happens. Ruel's going to be around for another year. At least that's what the new contract says. We'll see how it works out. More coaching news coming up. Now this concerns the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, of the Western Hockey League this season and of the National Hockey League next season. As you know, they have a new general manager and former Flyers GM, Bud Poyle. Well, Bud needs a coach for the rest of this Western Hockey League season, and he's offered the top scorer in the Western Hockey League who plays for the Canucks, Andy Bathgate, a position as player coach for the rest of the WHL season. Didn't last long, though. Andy turned it down right on the spot. He says, and this is advice that Bud Poyle should probably take, that whoever takes over the team right now should be the guy who will coach the NHL version of the Canucks next season. Poyle wouldn't guarantee Andy that he would be coaching the NHL team next year, so Andy didn't want the post. But when you think of it, most of the players that are on this Western Hockey League team, in fact all of them, are owned by the NHL version of the Canucks, which will make its debut next fall. So these guys are going to be playing in the NHL for Vancouver, and Batgate makes a lot of sense. They might as well get to know how the new coach is going to act, and he may as well get to know what kind of material he's going 
to work with. I wonder if uh, Poyle will take Andy's advice and hire a coach who's going to be sticking around next year as well. We'll have to wait and see how this works out. I would imagine we're going to have an answer to this within the next week or so because this Western League team needs a coach. They're going for a championship and they are the odds-on favorite to win the Western Hockey League crown. And speaking of the Canucks again, Two more Joe Crozier loyalists have left the Canucks. Former NHL goalie Al Miller, who's been around it seems forever, started out this hockey season as the number one goalie of the Rochester Americans of the American Hockey League, a team that's owned by the Canucks. He was uh, moved back to a backup role and eventually made a scout by the Canucks, and he's been working across North America as a professional scout for the Canucks. He left the team and he was followed out the door by Greg Douglas, a 25-year-old who has been the Western Hockey League Canucks publicity director. A couple of days after that, several of the organization's secretarial staff also quit the team. No word on how this has affected the day-to-day operation of the Canucks, but you can imagine that Bud Poyle didn't count on headaches like this so early in his tenure with the new team. We have a few interesting notes from the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A circuit. First of all, Toronto Marlboros defenseman Steve Durbano, we seem to be talking about this guy a lot, Well, he uh, received a formal letter from the league and he's been told to clean up his act. Durbano has accumulated an unbelievable 350 minutes in penalties so far this season, including too many 10-minute and game misconducts to list here. And most of them have been for abuse of officials arguing with referees, berating referees, and in a couple times, he almost assaulted the on-ice officials. The league executive said that they in no way wish to curb Durbano's aggressive style of play, but that his chronic abuse of officials is unacceptable and further continuance of this behavior will result in lengthy suspensions. Durbano is now at the point where with every 10-minute misconduct he incurs, he is subject to an immediate $100 fine. And that, my friends, is a pretty stiff penalty for a junior hockey player who maybe gets 50 bucks a week expense money. Still with the OHA Junior A-League, Ron Plum of the Peterborough Peets has been awarded the Max Kaminsky Trophy. Now, just in as in recent years, uh, the Kaminsky Trophy was given to the top player in the OHA Junior A uh, series, but that honor is now bestowed upon the Leafs' best, the league's best defenseman. The player this year adjudged the best defenseman in the league was Ron Plum, Peterborough Peets, who had 15 goals. 29 assists during the regular season. Now, there were a few other defensemen who were in contention for this award. They were Serge Lajeunesse and Jocelyn Gaverma of the Montreal Junior Canadiens and Steve Cuddy of the Toronto Marlboros. So that means now that the Red Tilson Award 
which was formerly awarded to the league's most gentlemanly player, is now a combination of most valuable player and most gentlemanly player award. Now, this year's winner, and it should be a surprise to absolutely no one, is Gilbert Perrault of the Montreal Junior Canadiens, and he is the odds-on favorite to be the very first player selected in this June's upcoming National Hockey League Amateur Draft. He will be chosen by either the new Buffalo Sabres or the Vancouver Canucks. Fans in Madison Square Garden, as well as in uh, many other National Hockey League cities, are not impressed with the requirements of the new NHL national TV broadcasts on the CBS television network in the United States. During past Sunday's telecast of the Rangers-Chicago game, there was a 20-second delay while a commercial was completed on the air, and the fans in MSG, as New York fans are wont to do, started chanting. This chant was... CBS stinks. When the uh, broadcast went back on the air, the chant was still going on and could be heard over the broadcast, and that must have been embarrassing to CBS executives. Now, another very good reason for New York fans to be so disenchanted with the CBS network was the fact that these afternoon games are not broadcast on New York station WOR because that station has previous commitments to sponsors of other events and those are being broadcast instead. Now, this is according to Walter Hamilton, who is the producer of WOR Sports. CBS was trying to make arrangements for another New York station, station WPIX, to carry the games, but so far, no one has come to an agreement, and so those games are not available to fans in New York City. While Ranger fans were really happy about the acquisition of Tim Horton in the weeks following the trading deadline, uh, many were questioning the wisdom of trading of good young center Yuha Weeding to the Kings in a deal that brought Ted Irvin to New York. Uh, Francis said that Whiting was expendable because the Rangers have several good young centers on the way and they're almost ready for prime time. The cat named Silaps Jr., whom we mentioned earlier, might be going to the Maple Leafs, and young Don Luce as two kids nearly ready for NHL competition. Another part of that trade that was not announced last week saw American Hockey League forward Roger Cody loaned from Springfield of the AHL to the Rangers farm team at Buffalo. Buffalo a little shy on players due to injuries, and Cody, who's a truculent sort and a good AHL player, will fit right in in Buffalo. Now, Francis had been looking at a couple of young de- defense prospects before he made the deal for Horton. In fact, at one point, he had told Toronto that he wanted to give Ab DeMarco Jr. and Mike Robitaille some time with the team before deciding to get Tim. Now, DeMarco impressed the cat so much, he's going to stay with the team for the rest of the season, but uh, Francis decided Robitaille need a little more seasoning, and he was returned to Omaha of the Central Hockey League.
The American Hockey League says it's considering expansion within the next two years to keep up with the number of teams needed as farm teams with the rapidly expanding National Hockey League. Cities being considered at this time for AHL franchises are Norfolk and Richmond in Virginia, Syracuse and Long Island in New York, and New Haven, Connecticut. The Detroit Red Wings still have an American Hockey League franchise, and presently it's in limbo. They had uh, suspended the Pittsburgh Hornets franchise when the Penguins were awarded the uh, NHL club, and they're eager to resurrect that franchise. They've been really closely looking at New Haven and Richmond as sites for their new AHL club. Here's a not-so-classy move by American Hockey League Club. This is the Providence Reds. Sunday evening was the deadline for player acquisitions within the AHL. The Reds waited until Monday morning to tell veteran forwards Ed Couture and Don McKenney that they were being released from the team and their services were no longer needed. Now, of course, it's too late for either of these guys, who are both known as pretty good guys, to catch on with another AHL team. And one more AHL note as well, Hans Tanner of the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle says that the new Vancouver NHL team is likely going to sell off the Rochester Americans of the AHL in favor of a farm team a little more closer to Canada's West Coast. Tanner believes that the Americans, one of the AHL's legendary franchises, are very likely to be purchased by the Minnesota North Stars to become their top developmental team. Some player news from around the NHL. Uh, The Red Wings got rookie center Al Carlander back from the injury list. To make room for Carlander, uh, they sent defenseman Paul Popeil back to the American Hockey League Cleveland Barons. The St. Louis Blues sent left winger Wayne Mackey back to the Buffalo Bisons of the AHL, uh, and they recalled Ron Anderson. Now, Anderson was sent to Buffalo a couple weeks ago. You remember when Scotty Bowman shook up the Blues and sent uh, four players to the minors? Well, Anderson has found his way back to the NHL team. Veteran left winger Ron Murphy of the Boston Bruins, one of hockey's good guys, and he's been plagued in recent years by recurring shoulder problems. Well, Ron announced his retirement as a player this week. Ron played in only 20 games this season for the Bruins, piling up two goals, five assists for seven points, but he didn't see much ice time. He just wasn't up to it. Bruins management says that Ron will remain with the team in a special assignment capacity. Uh, The Hamilton, Ontario native played a total of 889 NHL games with the Rangers, Chicago Blackhawks, Detroit Red Wings, and the Bruins. He scored 205 goals and had a total of 479 points. By the way, the Bruins got more bad news on the injury front when they learned that winger Garnet Bailey is gone for the rest of the season with a busted ankle. 
Voices are growing louder around the NHL about the roughhouse tactics that are being increasingly deployed by the Boston Bruins. The Bruins are being called in many quarters the Big Bad Bruins for very good reason. They're big and they are bad, and that doesn't mean their play is bad. They're rough, they're dirty, and they will intimidate teams in any way possible. Claude Ruel, the Canadian's coach, refers to them as Bobby Orr and the Animals. Now, this uh, nicknames uh, that are being used by everyone else is angered. Team president Weston Adams Jr., who says the club is simply a victim of its own reputation. Adams says, I don't like it when we get a reputation of being a team that uses our sticks to fight, which is not really what everyone is saying. He says, that's unfair. We're a rough team, the antithesis of a club like the Montreal Canadiens. We're no dirtier and no cleaner than any other NHL team. I wonder what National Hockey League referees would say about that. If you've seen Bernie Perrant play within the last couple of days, you're noticing something different. Bernie is wearing a new, larger face mask. The new mask was made in Toronto and apparently fits Bernie better around the eyes, affording better vision, especially when the puck is down at his feet. Bernie, as you know, has worn what many people call a pretzel-style mask, and if you've seen one of these masks in its raw form, unpainted, its color is exactly that of a pretzel. Uh, these masks were made by Jacques Plante, and Plante wore one up until this season when he moved to a little different type of facial protection. This mask that Perron is wearing is not the same as Plante does. Uh, it's actually made from a kit readily available in sporting goods stores around Ontario. Now, I know that because while I was uh, in university in London that very fall, I bought the very kit and the instructions had photos of a mask exactly like the one Bernie is wearing at this point in his career. Uh, it was a good mask. It, it made from fiberglass and resin, easily done just like body work is done on a car. Uh, the tricky part was getting a mold made of my face. Their plaster of Paris mold was not fun to work with. Much later in my life, I had a mold made for me by uh, Dr. Rich Sandelli, a dentist in Port Colburn, and that was really an experience to have done. And I made a couple of uh, mask models out of that, all which worked pretty well. Couple of notes from the Pittsburgh Penguins camp. Jack McGregor, who was the Penguins president and resigned earlier this year to enter the Pennsylvania governor's race, has now withdrawn from that competition. He says he won't return to the Pittsburgh Hockey Club in an operational role, but he continues to support the franchise. And the Penguins, by the way, continued with the yo-yo act that they're pulling with goalie Joe Daly, who was after being called up a week or so ago from the uh, Baltimore Clippers of the AHL was sent back to Baltimore this week with the impending return of Les Binkley to action in the Pittsburgh goal crease. Some injury news from the Maple Leafs. They learned that center Jim Harrison's probably going to miss the rest of the season with that broken hand he sustained in the fight with Terry Harper of Canadians. Harrison broke his hand, repeatedly striking 
Harper on the top of the head. The Leafs called up young Danny Johnson, a center with Tulsa of the Central Hockey League. He had 30 goals and 36 assists for the Oilers. The Leafs also lost defenseman Jim Dory, not to an injury, but to a suspension. Uh, Clarence Campbell suspended Dory indefinitely for his actions in a brawl last week in a Minnesota, and he was accused of assaulting linesman Red Shetler, who seems to be getting in the way of a lot of uh, hockey players' assaults this season. Uh, as it turned out, Campbell had a hearing, took a few days, and imposed a six-game ban on Dory, and that's going to hurt the Leafs after just trading Tim Horton. A decision was made in the Wayne Mackey assault trial in Ottawa. Mackey was acquitted of the charge of assault causing bodily harm. Ottawa Judge Edward C. Carter ruled that Mackey was acting in self-defense when he struck Bruins defenseman Ted Green on the head with his stick, causing a skull fracture. Following the verdict on Mackey's case, the Crown Attorney announced that Green's charges were being reduced from assault causing bodily harm to common assault. With that charge reduced, Green's trial was adjourned until April 7th and the judge withdrew from the case on the ground that he said that trial would complicate things for him and he didn't specify why. There's also an idea that with the reduction in charges, the adjournment is because Green's lawyers may be contemplating a guilty plea with sentence being negotiated down to a short-term of probation. We'll have to see how that happens on April 7th. Wells Twombly is a very respected sports columnist with the San Francisco Examiner, and he was writing this week about the attendance increase in Oakland this year. Now, he spoke with team president Bill Creasy, who seems to like to be interviewed about his seals. Uh, he made this comment on the progress with the troubled franchise. And here we are, 50 years later, with the benefit of hindsight. We know how this is going to end. But here's what Creasy told Twombly. I can't begin to describe what our group took over here. You can't believe how poorly a major league club can be run. Well, as we know, there wasn't really a lot of uh, long-term improvement in how the SEALs were run. And they would eventually, in a few short years, end up in Cleveland. But just on cue, that week, a record crowd for the Seals of over 12,000 showed up to see Oakland drop a 3-2 decision to the visiting Chicago Blackhawks. And one other bit of Oakland Seals news, scouting director John Anderson resigned from the team, but we think he did it for a pretty good reason. He's rejoining his old friend Punch Imlac with the Buffalo Sabres. Anderson, you may remember, was Punch's right-hand man for years with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we did say we'd give a little update on the Kurt Flood case. If you remember, Kurt Flood was the St. Louis Cardinals baseball player who was traded during the offseason to the Philadelphia Phillies. Kurt objected to just being arbitrarily told he must now play baseball in Philadelphia. And he has decided to, through the courts, challenge baseball's reserve clause the same clause that binds a baseball player to a team for life unless he's traded sold or released is uh, applicable in hockey well Kurt 
Kurt Flood went to court and requested that he be made a free agent in baseball immediately and be allowed to freely choose for which baseball team he would play. A lower-level federal court judge denied Kurt's request for immediate relief, which was free agency, but he wouldn't rule, and this is significant, he would not rule on the legality of baseball's reserve clause. That means that... uh, While he must remain property of the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, the court action to strike down the reserve clause would continue and probably go to a higher court. Now, Kurt said that as a result of this temporary setback, he will not be playing baseball in 1970 unless he was given the right to freely choose his team. Kurt said that he doubted he would ever play in the big leagues again. So once again, we've gotten to the point where we usually talk about our personality of the week, but there was just too much news again. We will be back with um, detailed features of hockey personalities from 1970 shortly. But what did we learn in this week's show? Well, we learned that the Canadians are out of a playoff spot, but they still brought back their coach. This is the lowest they've been in a season in many, many years. We found out How strange Tim Horton looks in a uniform other than that of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we learned about Coach Claude Ruel of Canadians and Vic Stasiuk of the Flyers getting contract extensions. But we got to wonder whether these two guys are really going to be in it for the long haul. I don't see a guy like Stasiuk having an act that lasts more than a year with the Flyers. But they brought him back for two. They're going to have to pay him. Now, next week, some of the stories we're working on include uh, the National Hockey League suddenly saying they're ready to consider recognizing the Officials Association, and we'll examine that. We'll find out that the crazy saga of Joe Crozier and the Vancouver Canucks gets a little more goofier, if that's even possible. The Canucks eventually will announce their new coach, by the end of next week. And we find out that with Sid Abel serious about his decision not to coach the Red Wings next year, a new candidate, an unknown candidate, emerges for the Red Wings coaching post. Please join us next week for another 50-year trip back to 1970. The 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast is produced each week by Andy Cole. The Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction music. And if you ever get a chance to see them perform live, they put on a great high-energy show and their tunes will get in your head. Other musical pieces and sound effects are by Andy Cole. And our research for this podcast comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and the many, many publications found at newspapers.com. Another podcast that I really enjoy and highly recommend is the Let's Write a Song podcast hosted by Andy Cole, who puts this podcast together. Each week, Andy has a special guest, usually from around Winnipeg, where Andy's located, and they engage in some great conversation and also write a song, which they perform at the end of the show. The interesting part of this is not all guests are musicians, and the results of their collaboration are really quite entertaining. We think you'd like it, and you should give it a listen. Now, you can find the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast 
on Twitter at, at Hockey 50 Years, and we have a feed every day that details some of the news we report here. You can find us on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey, and we have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. You can get the podcast through your favorite podcast app and through the Apple and Google podcast stores and on Spotify. Thanks again to everyone who tunes into this show. This is truly a labor of love. We enjoy bringing this to you each and every week. And we have some additions in the work that we're going to be uh, releasing very soon and uh, should make the summer programming really quite worth tuning in. On that note, we'll see you next time. When the-